it was great to get together with everybody and just kind of hang out and chop it up a little bit, catch up with Scott and Corey and Michaela. It was, uh, it was a great conversation. There's been a big development in our area. The Emerald Ash Borer has come to Oregon since this episode, so we don't talk about it. It's just been a little, uh, I've been a little late getting this one out, but we will have one talking about it a little bit later. So that, that will be on the way. Again, thanks for everybody. Thank you to everybody who's reached out and kind of wondered where we are or encouraged us to make more episodes. Uh, we, we will kind of work on, work on them here and there. And so uh, keep paying attention and there's more to come. If you want to support us, you can get on the social medias and subscribe on Facebook, Instagram, Tree Thinking Podcast. Uh, you can reach out, email treethinkingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, please take a minute and go subscribe to the Tree Thinking YouTube page. We've only got a couple videos, but there's a couple episodes that we did videos of if you're interested in any of those. So without further ado, we'll take care of some business and then get right to it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional arboriculture advice and should never be relied upon to perform or direct arboricultural work. The Tree Thinking Podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, or suitability of any information on this podcast and will not be liable for any damages arising from the use of any information in the practice of arboriculture or tree work. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The podcast and its hosts are not to be held responsible for misuse, cited, and or unsighted copies of the content within this podcast by others. The Tree Thinking Podcast may not be reproduced or distributed without the express written consent of the Tree Thinking Podcast. Do these things still work? It's been uh, been a little while, but uh, I guess we're back at it. Let's see, it's probably been a month or, no, it's probably been like three or four months since we've been <laughs> on here. Well, you know how one month runs into three or four or six. Yep, so we're just going to kind of check in overall and uh, see see how we're doing before we get too far in it. I'm Andrew. I'm Corey. I'm Scott. I'm Michaela. And uh, yeah, how you guys doing? Hot. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, summertime's here. Yeah, it kind of hit all at once, didn't it? It really did. It went from like rainy and 50 degrees and then it, and it was on the solstice. It was like the first day of summer. It's going to be 80 degrees, guys. Let's do this. You know, <laughs> the, literally days before it was dumping rain. What, like half an inch in a day or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Good time to start watering the trees. Good time. Yeah. So summer's hitting. And uh, I think since we were last on here, there's been some, some changes. Uh, I'm not at the city anymore. <laughs> I am running the city now. Yep. Yep. I am. Uh, I got demoted, and I'm. <laughs> that was first on the agenda. That was first on the on agenda. On my personal agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on a lot of people's personal agenda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Corey is now Michaela's secretary. Mm-hmm. Not even that. I, yeah. Like he's cleaning the restroom. Basically. Let's be honest. Yep. I, I, I'm the to- like those butlers in the bathrooms that hold the towels. It's yeah. Like, Would you like a napkin, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and Scott over here is now the urban forester for the state of Oregon. <laughs> Holy cow. How did, did that, that happen? happen? It's like that talking head song. 
but he really is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, this isn't a joke. Yeah, he, that's not a joke. He, he really got hired. So, so how long have you been on the job? This will be the end of my second week today. And two weeks in the, into the new gig. Yeah, pretty exciting uh, major shift. I'm, I much prefer a bike commute of half an hour to an hour commute up I-5, but it should be short-lived. I just need to get my bearings and get the lay of the land up there and make connections, and then I can work remotely a lot more. Yeah. So, so far, you're before we start hit record, you were telling us you're commuting a lot. In the last two weeks, where have you been? So today I did a tour of central Oregon, but that was the first time. So basically it's just been up to Salem and back. So I shouldn't okay. complain. Most people throughout the world, an hour commute, no, no big deal. Well, and you said you went to Portland? I did go to Portland. That was an event at the Hoyt Arboretum giving... Uh, it was a presentation for the American Public Gardens Association. They were having a conference up there, and we gave about 20 folks who were curators and um, horticulturalists and arborists at uh, Arboreta and Botanical Gardens a crash course on tree risk assessment. Oh, nice. Management, so that was fun. I had never spent much time up in at the Hoyt Arboretum, so that was great. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. So a crash course in tree risk, was that like along the guidelines of the track program, or was this just a, a quick once-off? Yeah, it was giving some very introductory concepts, mostly about roles and responsibilities. The difference in roles between tree managers or curators and tree assessors and tree workers, arborists, or other folks, and how there is some overlap between those duties or among those duties, but distinct responsibilities. And ultimately, the buck stops with the person who owns the tree. You can do try to do risk transference and uh, minimize risk, but really the folks who have the responsibility are, is the organization, entity, or individuals who own the trees yeah. in question. And uh, just kind of exploring the concept of duty of care and standard of care and due diligence and following the expectations that uh, pertain to being a reasonable person. If uh, memory serves me correctly, Michaela is going to be diving into those concepts pretty heavily next week. Yeah, yeah. We're hosting a track event at the city. So Nice. That's one of my favorite uh courses through the isa is the track one it just feels hands so down. applicable you know hands down the best design course it is so spot on and really they've done an excellent job at refining it and just making it the bare essentials and uh really the safety implications and a great course yeah and it, I th what i've noticed so far too is i mean we we all spend every day looking at trees and talking about trees but as I read through the book, it just, it kind of simplifies it in terms that everybody can understand and gives you think like the right terms to communicate with people about an acceptable level of risk. Right. Yeah. Um, which I think is really helpful. And I, I love that part of it. Yeah. It, it's such a great, the way they, they kind of frame the way you look at assessing the risk in the tree, mm -hmm. you know, they give you the time limit. So it's like, okay, I'm not, you know, they, they, 
put it in a way that you can easily communicate it and process it. Yeah. You know, if you just look at a tree, every tree is going to die eventually. You know, what's the chance it's going to fall over? I don't know. But if you say, what's it, what's the chance it's going to fall over in the next year? Mm-hmm. Okay, that starts putting it in a box that we can understand and easily communicate to the client. Yeah, especially when, you know, storms roll around and everybody, people are scared of every tree, being able to c- communicate that to them in, in a professional manner, you know, and be able to say, hey, I'm certified in this and, you know, yeah. I can yeah. say because with a certain level of confidence that this is the likelihood of failure or the risk that this tree is posing so yeah yeah it should be really valuable really looking forward to it it was really fun uh to be able to share case studies from eugene and to show examples of trees that had a high risk that we were able to mitigate and then reduce the residual residual risk to an acceptable level and we still have um our tree and as it were uh we can have our cake and eat it too yeah, yeah, that's great. Who's who's teaching the class that you're going to be taking? Is Terry it Terry? Fon- Terry Fonagan. Oh, that's awesome. He's, he's great. I, yeah, I love yeah, him. that's who you and me took it from. Yep, yep. What three, four years ago or something? Five. That five <laughs> years I, ago. I, I just recertified. Yeah. yeah, I need to do that. It's we're due this uh, December. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I should I should be there you this should, weekend. Should, should, <laughs> should probably, I know. Should probably be there this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Any open spots you guys know? I can sneak you in the back. Oh, um, it's sweet, sweet. Might as well ask. Yeah, we'll we'll figure that out. I know where your old prox card is. <laughs> yeah, nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> what? Right at the, on the, the tape to the middle of the bullseye. At the <laughs> no, it's it's right on a big wanted poster. Do not let this man. Back exactly. Yeah, they have it framed at the entrance to the yard. <laughs> Who was the main audience for uh, your presentation? Were they more like tree managers or so? Curators uh, and uh, executive managers of botanical gardens, and so pretty high level of management, but there were some field staff as well. There was one field person from the University of British Columbia Botanical Garden, and um, a very knowledgeable, uh, not a climbing arborist, but very knowledgeable plant person who worked a lot with trees. Nice. Nice. That was great. So a, a really solid cross-section, a broad cross-section of folks. So, Yeah. So in that new position, do you think it's going to be a lot of uh, presentations and uh, what other kind of things? So the primary charge of this position is to manage the urban community assistant, uh, urban and community forestry assistance program throughout the state of Oregon. And that is entails providing technical and financial assistance to 241 incorporated cities around Oregon. Most of those are smaller communities, fewer than 30,000 people. Yeah. Hmm. But you have Portland and Salem and Eugene and Medford and yeah. For those rural communities, it'll be uh, kind of an interesting aspect to think about how fire impacts those communities. For all, actually, Eugene, for Every single, I, I don't think there's a single community, even on the coast in the wettest parts of the state, that fire is not um, an issue. If if not, um, certainly eastern Oregon or central Oregon are at higher risk. But as we saw with the Holiday Farm Fire, it can hit anywhere. Think of the Tillamook burn, and that was before climate change. Yeah. So it really, um, now's the time to 
do everything we can proactively to prevent catastrophic wildfire. Yeah. We, we want a certain amount of fire because our ecology is dependent on it. Mm-hmm. So we want the best aspects of fire, very low intensity, more frequent fire, but we want to prevent the catastrophic fire that takes its toll on property. And Yeah, I kind of, I wonder, and maybe you know more about this, any of you, but if that will increasingly become a part of like the curriculum that ISA or... You know, that just a rate, you know, being certified in that, because when I used to do bids, people would ask me questions. And it's one of those things where it's like the same with the track. Or maybe it's a part of the track, you know, going forward where you want to give a highly professional answer. And, you know, you know, you, you know, the right things to say, but there's a certain language you can use. And um, I don't know, also being held liable. I'm just like, Ooh, you know. Yeah, that is definitely um, in the works. So. In addition to the track um, curriculum, there are wildland urban interface defensible space standards that are being developed, and uh, you're absolutely right, that is going to be incorporated. Right now, you have traditional forestry on one hand and then urban forestry on the other, and the wildland urban interface, it's kind of this gray area. Yeah, People know intuitively what they need to do, but there hasn't been a... Uh, formalized curriculum so uh, or certification program but uh, a couple of our staff have been looking into that so um, if you're interested I and pardon me I'm still working on my pronouns <laughs> I keep saying we meaning city of Eugene and <laughs> I mean you we, we yeah. mean some, yeah, uh, yeah. the state of Oregon yeah the state of yeah. Oregon state that's of Oregon. it the royal we. The where royal where we. does the Firewise grants, that's something that we deal with a lot of the clients. I've been on a couple bids recently where I'm talking to people and they're wanting to get the Firewise grant, you know, and we have to figure out what the defensible state spaces. And so a lot of times I just tell them, hey, contact Firewise. They'll send someone out that'll walk around and kind of give you the idea of what they want, then call us out and we can then do a bid for what the, the report they give you. But mm-hmm. where, where does that fall into your, to your world? So we coordinate with um, counties and with the Oregon State University Extension Service. And most FireWise grants will not be given for uh, uh, the FireWise. They'll provide technical assistance, but not uh, grants within city limits. So it's mostly rural areas. So in yeah. our case, Lane County outside the, the urban growth boundary or um, city limits. So there's overlap and we could do well to tighten up and fill in the gaps so that everyone, because it honestly could happen anywhere. Yeah, and that's where that gray area comes in. Mm-hmm. Cause if you're in that gray area, there's a lot of those communities that are on the edge of town. They're probably inside the urban growth boundary, but have a lot of that same stuff. And so, Right. Fire starts there, it will easily spread out. Of, you know, mm-hmm. fire don't care about no urban growth boundary. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> What's the old saying? Nature doesn't respect geography or, <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fire does what it wants. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, the, man, there's so many uh, elements to, you know, when because working for urban forestry and for the city of Eugene, you start thinking about, you know, it kind of forced me to change my perspective when I went to the city. Cause you, at, you know, in our residential tree company, you're just kind of thinking about your company is the machine. And then you st- get into the city and you realize urban forestry is the small part of this bigger machine. 
I'd imagine that's probably even amplified more when you get to the state level. For sure. There, it's a big organization, and right now, because of the increased awareness and focus on fire defense, uh, there have been some recent Senate bills in the state legislature that have passed that have mandated uh, shift in approaches and, and really focusing on fuels reduction and such. So right now, our division is hiring 160 folks, which is just a huge percentage of the, the total wow. workforce. That, 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 that's like everybody who works at Roosevelt Yard. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's really big, and it's a good thing, and it'll be great, but there's a, like so much that we've seen during the pandemic major change afoot and folks are so when you say 160 folks in your division is that in the state urban forestry division or what what is your natural resources natural resources okay division so um that yeah it just across the board uh carrying and i'm still working to understand the divisions which have shifted but so um the primary mission of the oregon department of forestry is fighting fires uh, and preventing and aiding in the um, defense against forest fires, but also with current issues being what they are, recognizing that climate change is a major threat and understanding how to monitor changes over time and how to mitigate uh, the impacts of climate change and how to adapt so that the negative effects of climate change are minimized and uh, the urban community forestry program is arguably one of the smallest components of that full thing so there's um, huge potential to to grow the program and a growing need in addition to climate change and um, new ways of fighting fire or preventing catastrophic wildfire the department also recognizes the import the importance of environmental justice, and social equity. That is the fair distribution of the benefits of trees to all people, not just the affluent, as we typically see. Yeah, yeah. So hiring 160 people, how do you? How would someone, if they're listening to this and they're like, man, I want to work for uh, the natural resources for the state of Oregon, do they just go to the website? and? Yeah, I'd recommend going to the website. A ton of... Um, Specialized folks ranging from climate analysts to uh, carbon analysts and, let's see, what other, uh, GIS experts, uh, remote sensing experts, um, various fire um, experts, fish and wildlife experts across the board. Yeah. What about uh, working with you? Is there anybody in the uh, hiring to, to work with? You Mr. Bet Urban Forester Scott Altenhoff. Yeah, we're trying to expand and um, in the process of developing a position description, uh, getting that squared away so that we can advertise. We have some retirements pending that uh, positions need to be filled for the community assistance foresters who will work hand-in-hand -hand with individual communities throughout the state to build capacity and make improvements to their urban forestry management program or urban forestry program. 
to manage trees. Basically, in the same way that Eugene has focused over the last decade plus on moving from a reactive approach to a proactive approach, helping communities do the same thing. And every community is going to be much different in terms of priorities and approaches and values and all that. So it one size isn't going to fit all. So the first task is definitely going to be who are we working with? What do they want? And it, you can't just say, oh, I know how to do this. Here's what you do. It doesn't work that way. Certainly with planting trees and maintaining trees, there are some constants, but the social component, as you folks all know, yeah, um, based on what the community values are, you have to meet people where they are. I would imagine that in a lot of the smaller towns, depending on how small of towns you're working in, I'm from a really small town, so a lot of the land there is private, and so it has to be at least a town that has street trees to be an urban forest, or what would you consider an urban forest for a really small town? So any community that has public trees, um, although that that really... That are municipal. They're owned by the municipality, not necessarily like the Forest or Service. Or not necessarily. Um, if they're public trees, whether owned by the Forest Service, BLM, or um, so not owned by individual property owners. And then even, even there, if it's all private property trees, that's a huge component of the urban forest uh, yeah. in all communities. So having a general understanding of the importance of those trees and how to protect them and why they're important and how to plan effectively for the future and hedge bets no matter what nature throws at us in terms of climate change or storms or rough weather or drought or what have you. Yeah, that it's one of the interesting things about urban forestries is they all, it seems like everybody does it a little different. You know, like uh, one city will be responsible like in Eugene uh, the homeowner is responsible for getting a permit if they want any work done on their tree or they could call and just get on the list and you know wait to be prioritized you know but the list yeah the, the list, list. <laughs> but then you go out to Portland and like they do things differently and adjacent yeah. property owners are responsible for street tree maintenance okay and, so that's what yeah. it is so and they do have um, regulations that l regulate the number of trees or the size of trees removed on private property as well. And so, yeah, every you're absolutely right. Every community does it different, and it's it has to work for the community. And if you don't have buy-in or understanding, you can have the best ordinance or law in the world, but if it's not followed or understood or respected it probably won't be that effective so yeah it's a lot of community engagement and education and outreach totally does does the state have any like overarching uh standards that you know they ask the city to follow or so the state basically just advocates for following best practices recognized best practices as put forth by ANSI and ISA and uh, TCIA and uh, the Arbor Day Foundation. So the Arbor Day Foundation, the Tree City USA program, has a number of standards for 
urban forestry planning, and there are some new standards being developed. I've been involved in task force through the Sustainable Forestry Initiative, SFI, that currently does a lot of certification for uh, traditional forests, and they're moving into the urban forestry realm. So soon those will be uh, come on the scene. There, um, right now, the a second draft of uh, policies are, are being um, reviewed by a number of uh, reviewers and stakeholders, and soon that will become operative. But getting back to your question about is there a statewide standard, there is not. Um, yeah. It's recognized that every city, different social structure is going to require something different, and you can imagine how different things are on the west side of the Cascades versus the east side, oh, or, yeah. or better yet, uh, on the coastal, between the coast range and the ocean, in the Willamette Valley or the Central Valley, and then on the east side, much different. And then that's just in terms of climate, and then you add elevation, and then you add social differences, values, and priorities, and yeah, uh, it, economic, it, it's all different. It makes sense, because even within like those different environments and you're going to have different species that have different characteristics, which in turn will have different challenges. You know, that's funny. We were just going through Madras, and you know what trees are doing super well? Uh, the Canada red chokecherry. Mm-hmm. Super well. I mean, <laughs> super well. Here are they, yeah, they, they do okay, and they, they add some nice color, but they're super leggy, and I, no one would say that they're, they thrive here. They they grow and they grow quickly, but they they don't look great. There, they're nice and compact, and they have nice color. Wow! They they require a colder weather, and in yeah. fact, they're in Alaska. They're a favorite tree in the super cold areas. Do you think the lower um, lower humidity also plays a plays a role? Just keeps them more compact as well, or is it mostly the colder weather? Uh, colder weather and slower growing, uh, so that could factor it. The the dryness could factor in. Also, the mountain ash oh, look great, uh, and those are <laughs> interesting. Those are used, and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Because here, they're I know I'd love to see a mountain ash that looks great. I wonder what that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a small window in the Willamette Valley. Yeah. It's, it's like about a year after you plant it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Also, saw some of the um, service berry that were sizable. So. It, it was fun to drive around and go, wow, we wouldn't plant that. And also saw some uh, river birch, single-stemmed trees that look great. And mm. so it, it's really important. Uh, today's lesson for me driving around was stay humble. Don't pretend you know. Yeah. You, you know a, a very, you have insight into a small window and don't try and pretend you know, know about the whole state. Yeah. that That is part of who you are, though. And one of many reasons I'm sure you will be successful in your new endeavors. So you're saying earlier that it's it's really a lot of presentations and information. Is there a place that people could go find where there's going to be a presentation or an upcoming event that they could go check out? You bet. A great starting point would be to go to the Oregon Department of Forestry, Urban and Community Forestry webpage. And then there are a bunch of uh, links and subsections of that. Another great source of information for upcoming events would be the newsletter put out by our team 
their urban and community forestry newsletter. And that's available on that link. Nice. And then um, another major component of uh, the work that I'll be doing is working with Oregon Community Trees, OCT. Yeah. Um, they've got stakeholders and board members from all over the state and um, put on trainings and programs and um, we're going to brainstorm. Oh, I should mention, I'm really excited. Uh, just yesterday met with our ch- uh, division chief and he said the Oregon Department of Forestry uh, that's appointed, appointed by the governor is interested, uh, they have a November board meeting and field tour. And they said they were interested in either Portland or Eugene. Anyway, oh, oh, oh. That's <laughs> <laughs> just the place. Yeah, sh- let's showcase Eugene and uh, a variety of neat projects that we've already been doing for years. So nice. Yeah. Neat. So hopefully uh, we'll be doing that in November. Awesome. Awesome. We'll go to the website and uh, look it up, check it out, and hopefully come into Eugene in November to check out the the tour. Can you think of anything else that you want to say about your new position before we... uh... No, just just spinning, and um, it's kind of, it's been fun to move from the local level to a, a broader level, and it's I got to say, it's made me appreciate my time spent in Portland and Salem and um, traveling. And then the east side, I get back to Eugene and, oh, it's so green. And yeah, there there's always something to do a little better, but this is a pretty sweet place. And yeah. it's made me grateful for what we have here even more than I already was. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of the Willamette Valley. Yeah, we got a good thing going here. It's interesting how over time your relationship to your environment gets to change kind of based on your job, but just on your life experience too. And, and, uh, if you're a lifelong learner, like I am, uh, you know, you can go from loving just individual plant species, which you, I obviously still do to then what's your favorite. My very, I mean, currently, currently right now, today, mm. this moment. Top species, primary producer. I mean, the, the one that doesn't is even have to be a woody secondary growth plant. Well, Oregon white oak. I there mean, you go. Just spit oh, it yeah. out. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like loving individual species like that, but then also understanding like the land management behind it is a really interesting piece. And understanding, you know, been thinking because I've been working with the city, understanding forestry at a a city level and then to think about it also at a state level it's kind of just like this new level of like wow yeah that's like it's crazy to think about it at that large of a scale and then go nat- regionally and then nationally and then internationally it's it's really cool yeah then galactically <laughs> <laughs> trees on asteroids <laughs> it's only a matter of time, only a matter of time. <laughs> yeah your, your point made me think of um uh, something that you taught me, Scott, the the trees are just kind of an, uh, an ephemeral um, expression expression of the like local the soil, right? Like the local biome that's, that's mm-hmm. going on right there. Like we look at trees and, you know, they'll live for centuries or millennia or whatever. And we think, wow, that's so old. But then this, you look at the soil, like 
on timescales that we can't even comprehend, like has, has created what's going on in the, in the dirt right there. It's, it's pretty nuts. I was thinking about that today. Dug fur. We think, oh, these ancient dug furs. Douglas fur has only inhabited its current range for 10,000 years. That's a blink of an eye geologically relative yeah. to other species of trees um, and such. It's such a newcomer to the scene, but yet it's so widespread. And so we think of it as a, it, as though it was always here, but it wasn't by a long shot. The oaks predated it. The, everything else predates it by like, so much. Yeah, that's a, kind of an interesting piece. You mentioned equity earlier and got me thinking like, yeah, what kind of stakeholders are involved with making those kind of decisions? And if you think about like just the different ways people have managed the forests throughout the years, uh, you know, we are obviously doing things a lot differently than people even 500 years ago. So um, are who's at the table? Like, you know, it seems like the state is trying to be pretty inclusive and, and uh, include people in decision making and how things are managed. For sure. And uh, one thing I will say, I'm so excited. As we were driving today, I was talking about what kind of tribal interaction is there. And that became clear to me that I really need to work to engage our tribes. Um, they're included um, to a certain extent, but there's so much potential to really include indigenous land managers and really tap into that expertise and that. There's a lot of knowledge there. Yeah. And so really excited about to make inroads with the, with the tribes and include them. Uh, workforce development has always been a passion of mine to, to get more top quality folks involved in this practice of cultivating plants, honoring plants and perpetuating plants for the good of the planet and, who better to do that than the tribes? Well, and I mean, one of the things that this podcast is about is kind of recognizing the value of sharing information. You know, I know for, for me personally, when I first started, you kind of worked in your own crew and you guys shared information within the crew, but there was no internet and you didn't really talk to very many other tree people. And so you had like these silos of information. And one of the beautiful things about the internet, as we know, and, and one of the scary <laughs> things about the internet is you can share that, inf you know, whatever information you want, you know? So I think the idea of getting, you know, getting all these different people to the table, getting the information that, you know, these tribes have and just all these different people have and getting it all to the same place and sharing the, in the knowledge that works on a large level. I mean, it, it's really hard to kind of put a analytic on, the value there. Well said. Oh, Jesus. That's so well said. We'll just sit on that one for a while. Yeah, yeah. apparently so. That's all right. We can, <laughs> we can edit that pause down to, you know, just a minute or two. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. So Corey Scott's been reshaping the way the state looks at trees. How's, how's, Holding the towel for Michaela doing. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's it's. There's a lot that goes into it. Okay, you got to fold the towel right, and you got to hold like you drape it. You don't oh, yeah. you don't place it. You drape it. It okay? must be pink. 
it must be pink, pink also. Yeah. I learned nice. that. I learned that, I learned that pretty <laughs> early. Nice. No, uh, exciting thing at the city, we got Protos helmets. So yeah, oh, we nice. just put them together we, we today. We just put them together today. Sweet. Yeah, we did our first jobs. Uh, we actually got, um, we were kind of late coming to this podcast because we had a bunch of call-outs because we had, uh, with the heat, brought a kind of a change in, in the wind. So we had mm-hmm. a bunch of wind. So we were... That and a just very naughty beaver. And a naughty beaver. <laughs> Naughtiest of beavers. Yeah. <laughs> on, on the Roosevelt Channel or where? Uh, uh, Amazon, actually. On 16th wow. and Van Buren, yeah, there was a... Wow. Almost <laughs> completely took Almost. a tree out over the sidewalk, yep. yeah, just yep. gnawed uh, it down. Yep, so that was that was a fun one. He, yeah, he he or she went to town <laughs> on that thing. Just, yeah. It was just almost a toothpick left holding that thing up. But it was still standing. It was still just standing. Just teetering there. Yeah, yeah just, a, just a willow, just, you know, kind of, it was wrapped up in a bunch of other canopies, and there was a ash tree, right-of-way tree that was kind of like propping it up, but it was still barely standing. Did you get a photo? I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you could send that to me, because we were talking about that today, I'd love to send that to Katie and because she's like, "Oh wow, we were just talking about that." Oh yeah, send it to me too. I'll put it on the Tree Thinking Instagram page. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, <laughs> I want to see the the toothpick. The toothpick. <laughs> I'm I'm over exaggerating, but it was it was very like there wasn't much left of that tree. I've seen yeah. an 18 inch diameter cottonwood with a two inch holding core. Well, wow. Did you climb it? No. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's that time of year. You know, going into kind of spring, summer, that's the time of year you see a lot more like beaver. You know, if you're if you're doing tree work near waterways, keep an eye out. Or if you're just hanging out, because that's when they're chewing on a lot of logs. And you also get squirrel damage. So I think it's the a lot of the rodents are active right now because they're going for like the cambium flow. You know, so they're going for the, I'm the guessing, the sh- yeah, yeah, the sugars and whatnot in the. Because I, because I imagine they're not the, like acorns and the nuts aren't, aren't down yet. So they have to find some other kind of food source. Yeah. I, I wonder, I don't know. I yeah. think they just, their teeth start growing and they need to. Yeah. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. 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 Got to get those antlers in the trees. <laughs> <laughs> Squirrel chew. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, it's true that the squirrels will go for those bones or antlers over the, uh, I, I'm sure I've said it like 10 times on this podcast already. I, I don't think we've talked about squirrel chew on this podcast, have we? I mean, maybe. Like well, we did ten, an episode ten. with Johnny that was called, It wasn't it called something about like a squirrel something? Oh, yeah, okay. Either way, in case you didn't hear that episode. Yeah, right. Uh, the rodents, they need to shrink their teeth so they'll chew on bones because they like all the calcium and whatnot in the bone. And so if you take an antler or even take the bone out of a stake and just nail it to the tree, they'll you got to nail it down or, or to a fence post. or Matter of fact, I would say to a fence post because you don't want to train the squirrels to go to the tree to chew. Uh, if you nail it to that fence post, they'll you'll just watch that thing wither away as squirrels chew on it. I fe- well, or if you want to oh, have yeah. fun, do it to your neighbor's house, <laughs> and then it re- resonates. And, uh, you kind of have yeah. to hide it, otherwise yeah, they hide it. Yeah. The lady that loves birds next door, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. to get under her skin. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, it can't be where they can see it, so maybe on their roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually found an antler shed a few months ago at my place, and there were little, like, chew marks on the mm-hmm. like on the very tips of it, which yeah. I thought was pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah, I've been... Uh, it's funny, I remember bringing that up at a conference... Uh, what was it? It might have been in Boise. I think Scott was at that one in like 2008, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, people, you know, 
at these conferences, you're ha- hanging around with a bunch of people you just met, and they're all talking about, what do you do about squirrel chewing? And I was like, oh, yeah, you just uh, nail an antler to the tree. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, no, no, really, just an antler. You nail it to the tree, and they're like, they couldn't tell if I was joking or not. I'm like, no, seriously, it will. Or you could take the bone out of a steak. And I swear they'll they'll love it. <laughs> pour the beer on the ground. Take yeah. Two drinks. <laughs> Spin around twice. Spin around twice. But it works. Yeah. I feel like I feel like we didn't talk about squirrel chew before. I feel like that's the first time we brought it up. But uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> It all runs together after a certain point. Yeah. So let's see. What other kind of summertime things can you think of? Is, is that the, the topic of today's episode? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's just relevant to people listening right now, I'd I, imagine. I, I guess it was in our time, whenever this podcast gets released, it's, you know, that's going to be a different time. But in our time, we just had the summer solstice. So yeah, maybe we talk about summer. Long days. Long days. Yeah. I know we just, today we also got the... Water, we got a new trailer and got some awesome water tanks set up on it. And our watering guy is going to be hopefully super happy. Mm -hmm. We have it set up in a way that all of the, there's like, how how many gallons do they hold, Corey? Do you know how big they are? They're each 275, so it's eight, 20. It's a lot of water. water. But basically, they all go to one hose and they'll all drain at the same time. So you don't end up with a trailer that's super off balance as one will, you know, go down and then you know you're kind of making an unsafe situation so anyways it sounds pretty cool we'll see how it works probably helps so. it from like sloshing around yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we learned that the hard way this we winter. learned that the hard way yeah. so we, we, we had one of those tanks in the back of our water truck and we'd have we had a smaller so we had the 275 gallon tanks and then the 125 gallon tank right next to it and we'd just be pulling from one tank or the other and as that one tank would drain it would you know, create this slosh factor, and then the other tank wouldn't be able to offset it. So you'd be driving the water truck, and you'd like go to take a corner, corner not like super fast, but you'd go to take oh, a corner. So was and you, well, <laughs> Michaela was hauling. If, if Michaela was driving, she was trying to <laughs> put up the two wheels, and it would like you'd feel the whole thing like tip. It was nice, a little scary, <laughs> but yeah. we learned we learned a lesson. So yeah, there's a couple of lessons in watering. Actually, another one is even if it's really heavy, when you fill it with water you use all the water or half of the water that thing is gonna roll around in the back of the truck and uh you can you can really damage it Uh, the the tank itself the tank itself yeah i learned that one the hard way another one that we we caught but another good lesson is there's a screw on the top you gotta as you're letting water out you gotta let a little air out as well or else the whole thing will collapse Just like a pop can. If you need any <laughs> tips on your tree watering program, just give me a call. Um, I can probably help you out because we've learned things the hard way a number of times now. <laughs> I feel like I missed out on a lot since no, no, I've no. been gone. No, no, no. The, all this, this watering stuff happened while you were there. Did it? It yeah. was actually you all your fault, too. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't, <laughs> it was. It was. I mean, we blame you. Yeah. I mean, whether it was Fair your enough. fault or not. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> maybe if I was more aware it wouldn't have happened. Maybe. Maybe, Andrew. Maybe. So... What was the final count on trees uh, planted this planting season? Um, 838. No, 638. Oh, 638. My. Heidi is going to be disappointed. I know. I know. 638. Yes. Boom. Yep. Yeah. Wow. It's just a couple trees. Quite a few for just a, a real small crew and the help of some volunteers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is awesome. So we were busy, but. We were. 
That'd nice. be great when we're fully staffed. I wonder what we'll do then. Yeah. 838. Holy. Yes. I want to see 1,000. I think you guys can get 1,000 trees. Think, wasn't there a magic For number sure. of 1,000? Like, we needed to plant 1,000 trees to reach a goal. I, I don't know about that, but I know. I made that up, maybe. You definitely made that up. Well, you know what? Now it, it is <laughs> on the record. <laughs> the goal is 1,000 trees. I'll, I, I'm going to be paying attention. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make up some numbers for you. Um, I think I think Logan was crunching the numbers, and he found that a thousand was like the sustainable. Like, there was a l- level where you get to where it's not like. I can't remember exactly what the math was, but basically, his watering schedule could only support up to a thousand trees planted in a year. Otherwise, it would just like exponentially increase, like the amount of hours and the amount of people that you need to like be watering it. I think oh, that was I the, see. that was, Oh, the so it's don't pass a thousand. Don't pass a thousand. All right. Was, that I makes it, that, that's the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> the ceiling. Let's put some pressure on Logan. Let's get a thousand trees <laughs> in. A thousand trees in. Yeah. Oh, Why limit ourselves by Logan's watering capacity? <laughs> <laughs> so but speaking of watering though, I mean, I think right now a lot of people are going to nurseries and they're buying trees, right? Yeah. To plant them in their yard. And, Really, you know, when the, we like to plant trees is typically during the winter months. Yeah. And then as it starts to get drier, like right now, we're starting to put water bags on all those trees. And so we do that for the first two years. And the water bags let out, or three years, years. Um, which is great. And kind of helps the tree get established. You can fill the bag and then it slowly releases water um, versus all at once to really maximize how much percolates down into the soil. Mm-hmm. So how often do you recommend that someone want, you know, because I'm thinking a lot of the people that listen to this are arborists that are, you know, planting trees for a client. So what do you think they should tell their client on watering? Well, I mean, this is, we're coming at it from a very biased you know, perspective. We're from the Willamette Valley. You know, if you're over on the East Coast, they get summer water. So it's a very different game over there, right? Fair enough. Um, you know, in the, if you're planting a tree in Central Oregon, you're probably not ever going to want to stop watering it, right? Um, so there's, it's well, and depending on the tree, and depending on the tree, yeah, right, right, right. Depends. it depends. But here in the Lamb Valley, if you're planting a tree, you want to water it once or twice a week in the hottest of the conditions, right? You want to maximize that, and that's you know, assuming that you have you know a decent chip layer around the base of it, um, that you've done the right things for it. Some some species need maybe a little bit more. Uh, some species like an Oregon white oak might even need a little bit less than that. Maybe just once a week or, or sorry, once a week or maybe once every two weeks, maybe once a month. Um, cause Oregon, I know Oregon white oaks and correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but they like to actually have their roots uh, desiccate a little bit and that prevents some of the, uh, the fungus and stuff from, from yeah, growing. they can out compete other, um, other things and that's where they have their niche. Like, yeah, I like it dry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> drier. Give it drier. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I planted an azalea today for a client, and he was asking that question. And I think I told him, for the first for the first week, you can give it water every day because it will help collapse the air pockets in the planting and really just establish it. But then after that, uh, water it every, I think I said two to three days, depending on when you feel it. If it feels wet still, you're probably good. But once it dries out, you want to yeah. give it a good soak again. Yeah, and you can all... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, waiting longer periods of time, uh, you know, after that first week or so, kind of helps. If you're watering it every day, the roots are going to stay really shallow. Yeah. You know, but if you're watering it once a week or, you know, 
even further out if you can get away with it, depending on the soil soil moisture. Um, that'll kind of help the roots uh, go down into the soil and be a little bit more well established. Definitely, and yeah. and with the watering, like when we're talking about watering, we're not talking about like running a sprinkler system over the top of them, right? No. When I'm like when I think of watering, it's like deep watering, twenty minutes, deep slow watering. trickle, yes. like l- really yeah. let it percolate and down into there. That is something I told him as well. Is you can just put the hose on it and just just barely have it leak out, so you don't have to sit there and watch water it and whatnot. And yep, yeah, that, yeah, that's a that's an important factor when putting trees in the ground. Important Another factor. one that I keep on seeing is trees planted too high. Okay, Corey, you're gonna hate this, but your trees should be wearing bell bottoms. They should be wearing nice. flare jeans always. Skinny jeans are out. Oh, yes. No skinny no, jeans. No skinny trees. jeans. No skinny okay. jeans. Hey, hey man, <laughs> bell bottoms are pretty. Sw- I'm waiting for bell bottoms to make a. There is a, a root flare, and you need to leave that exposed at all times. Hey, if you, hey Corey, if you, don't wait. Just bring them back. Just bring them back. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just do Can it. We need some bell bottom bell bottom chat pants <laughs> for Corey here. Yes, please. Yeah, if Clogger, if you're listening, <laughs> can you uh, can you get Corey a pair of bell bottom chaps? Arbortech. Clogger, fatter, whoever makes it first. <laughs> I'll, I'll buy it. I don't care. Root flare, though, is clearly yeah. what I'm talking about. I hope, I hope that it's clear to everybody. Yes, yes root flare. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, I like that analogy. You want, you want them to be wearing um, uh, bell bottoms. You don't yeah, want them you want the root skinny. flare exposed. If they're buried above that, guess what happens? Girdling roots. No bueno. Nobody wants that. Or if it's an Oregon white oak, the whole thing will just topple over onto the top of your house. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> Scott, at the city, you were a big proponent of uh, tree planting programs. Uh, you know, the one that comes to mind is 2021 for 2021. Aye. Are you going to have some kind of like 2021 for 2021? <laughs> you know me well. Yeah, yeah. So I was definitely thinking today, well, how can we expand that to a statewide initiative because we got so many trees planted, so much enthusiasm built for great cause and kept the cost down to bare minimum. Why wouldn't we do it statewide Yeah, and offer more choices, obviously, for different communities and just replicate it? It was successful. It was both uh, in terms of getting trees planted and getting people thinking and talking about trees and caring for trees. So. Yeah, I think successful might be a bit of an understatement. It was 2021 for 2021, and how many did we plant? About 3,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who's counting? Yeah, who's counting? It's so, just like an extra thousand. Yeah, something. <laughs> go big or go home. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why we did sequoias. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you think it would be another, like, would you pick an individual species, or would it be focused more on, like, uh, native species for individual Yeah, I areas? think that would make sense, um, kind of select different regions whether coastal and willamette valley and east side things that would fare well under all possible conditions so no matter what nature throws at us that it would do well and and not just serve human needs but ecological needs as well so pollinators avian needs and the whole ecological system yeah yeah i mean Drought tolerant, cold tolerant, heat tolerant. Find the bomb-proof trees, similar to or like what Oregon white oak here in the Willamette Valley, on the coast, um, or Oregon white oak here, or as they call them in Canada, 
Gary Oak. Yeah, I call him that too. Yeah. Um, pine, uh, Willamette Valley pine or ponderosa pine, ponderosa on the east side, uh, coastal uh, spruce, I suppose, or um, sequoia or um, coast redwood or something like that. But there are pines, shore pine, uh, figure out what works and tailor it to the, the community. Yeah, hey, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then grow them out. That's the one thing is don't wait for the market to provide. That's We have to take control of the situation and grow the trees ourselves. Procure, procure them early and grow them out, cultivate them to the, the size and condition that we want them, and then have them ready when we're ready, not say, oh, we can't get these trees and they're too expensive or we can't. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's... Yeah, interesting. We'll have to talk about that later. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been thinking about growing trees and I know that's so exciting. That, Tell so. us about that. That is a game changer, and I wish more tree care companies would start thinking about full cycle tree management from seed to snag and then some. Yeah, what we're thinking about at Sperry. What we did is we sent out a survey in the company, and we have about thirty employees. And we put out a survey to say, what do you guys love about your job? And overwhelming what came back is people love planting trees. Wow. So we're like, sweet. Then we're going we're gonna, to uh, emphasize planting trees, you know, because what we want is we want people to, you know, if, if people are happy they're, uh, and stoked at work, they're going to be doing a better job. They're just going to be more fulfilled, at, you know, and that's the pl- kind of place I want to work. So that's the kind of place I want to provide. Um, and so we've been working on, uh, kind of up in the planting department. And so part of that is, uh, purchasing trees. And so that we have an inventory of trees that we can, uh, offer people, you know, so when you're talking to your client, you can, you can have a list of trees like, Hey, we already have these staged at our shop. They've been taken care of, you know, we've been taking care of it for two years. I've already potted it. I know the roots are great. It's, top quality uh and so we can then give them different options of trees that we could have for them that afternoon you or know. you could even just contract with a uh, if, if for whatever reason you didn't want to grow them yourselves contract with the nursery and just say we're gonna pre-buy pre-purchase or um contract grow have you contract grow for us yeah this list and avoid some of those complications that you mentioned yeah de- definitely i mean we've decided to uh purchase some of those plants in one gallon, you know, one gallon size with the plan of uh, growing them for a year or two and getting them up to size so we can really ensure the quality of the tree and make sure it's been done to the standard we want it to be done. Um, but I mean, there's lots of different options. Uh, so we've, we brought in Eric Burke who we will need to get on the podcast and talk more about planting trees. Um, but he, he has run friends of trees for, for the Eugene uh, branch of Friends of Trees for, for years now and is probably one of the foremost experts in the area on tree planting. Um, and so he's kind of helping set up and run the planting department over at Sperry now. So that that's pretty exciting. So cool. yeah, that yeah, is that is so great. Awesome. Oh, I, I am so excited to be part of it, you know, yeah. and so, you know, we'll see where it goes. That was sweet. You know, yeah. So, so sweet. Super so, important. So yeah. I'm curious, is it a lot of 
like after a removal, somebody's bummed that they had the tree removed, or is it, you know, you're pruning at somebody's house and you're like, oh, hey, a tree could go well over here. Like I see, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of times it's part of the bid process. You Mm -hmm. know, if one, anytime I'm bidding and there's a removal, I'm always like, hey, if you want to get a better tree that suits this area in here, you know, or maybe we could put one, it didn't really work in your backyard, but we could put one in your front yard. So I try to bring up planting partially because I just want this planting department to be really successful. So I'm always <laughs> kind of so cool. pushing planting. Um, as well as balancing the equation. Yeah, totally. I mean, I... You worked at the city for long enough. Well, not, not just worked at the city, but I mean, for any tree company, I hate to say it, but removal is the bread and butter. And a lot of tree companies, that's how they get off the ground before they get the reputation that gets a lot of the pruning customers and those long-term customers. Right. You know, you get off the ground, you do a lot of removals. Yep. And so I have killed far more trees than I've planted. And, you know, that's just how it goes. Yep. That being said, I would love to plant. I, I would love it if when I retire, I can say I've planted way more trees than I've killed. Mm-hmm. That's another interesting thing, at least in the state of Oregon, you have to have a separate license for tree planting versus yeah. removal, right? Definitely. So like you have to have a landscaping. The LCB. LCB versus the LLC or a, a CCB. CCB. Yeah. Which. I need to do something about that. I, I think we have somebody at the table who's potentially doing Scott. something about that. Yeah, that <laughs> needs to be improved. It's I see how and why it has happened the way it's happened, but it's an impediment to tree planting and it's it's backwards yeah but we're working on it yeah and you know it's also one of those things where if if that's the direction you got to go if you you know it's like anything in life if you've got a goal and you want to get it then that lcb is just a another hurdle that you got to jump over to make it happen Mm -hmm. you know we want to plant trees and so we're going to do our best to make that happen right it kind of comes down to the scale thing again, like looking at people, like at trees in somebody's backyard doing a removal, but then kind of zooming out a bit and thinking about the larger picture here, the urban forest, and if we can put another tree in the ground, just how cool that is and how much benefit is there. Yeah. Get it better than you found it. That mm-hmm. It's job security also. It is. Yeah. It, you know, if, if you're <laughs> removing trees at every client's house, well, eventually... It's, you know, you're not, you're not building return clients as much. I mean, you might run into someone that wants all their trees removed over a matter of years. Right. But if you're planting trees, you know, you got to remove them sometimes. But if you then plant one and that's a tree that you're going to be taking care of over the next 10 years, you know, you're, you're kind of building sustainability into your business model. That's yeah. That's and like if it's, you're working for a business like you are, I mean, the company could be taking care of that tree for who knows, years and years to come. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's the golden goose. You can, you know keep that goose alive and you can get a golden egg every day or you can kill that goose and try to see if you get two eggs, golden eggs in a day, but yeah, you won't get golden eggs after that goose is dead. Yeah. You better make those golden eggs yeah, last. Better make them last. <laughs> yeah. Sperry's uh, catching up to Davey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, not quite there. <laughs> <laughs> Close in terms of proportion. Yeah. You think when uh, Sperry was started relative to Davey, yeah. Proportion now, what, 30 years for Sperry? Yeah, I think it was 94, 92. I can't, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, so yeah. coming on 30 years, uh, yeah. that's a long time. That is kind of crazy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. But, you know, so just keeping on taking steps forward one step at a time, you know, so. And hopefully tree planting can be a, you know, big step. Hopefully it can get some momentum. 
And I hope, you know, if you can work that into your business, make it happen. Because it, it really is one of the more rewarding, at least personally, I feel like it's one of the more rewarding things you can do. I personally just prefer killing trees, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I'd be curious to hear from uh, Michaela and Corey about uh, job satisfaction in terms of job duties. Planting, uh, where does that rate on your... It, it can be hard work and it can be production-oriented. Yeah, so if I can speak about the last like few months again, putting 638 trees in the ground, it was exhausting. It was awful at times, but every single time you walk away, like I think about the, the place there on near Avalon, right? Like we, had, we went through and we removed every single, uh, there were a bunch of uh, uh, pear trees, right? Yeah. All through that whole section. And pear trees in the Willamette Valley just do horribly, right? Well, and just like Praslin with all the bronze birch borer where we just freaking logged that neighborhood. Yeah, yes. And you go through and you do something like that. And, like, there's the before and after picture, like a bunch of dead birch trees, and then it's all clear cut. And then you go back and you replant it. I, I can't even put into words, like, the satisfaction that that gives me to, like, oh, yeah. go back and say, I like, I, I played a part in that. And that's, this is, like... When I am long dead and forgotten about, there's still going to be trees on this street. That is, like, I can't, yeah, I can't put into words how great that is. Yeah. I was, yeah, it, I think the process became really dialed, too, eventually, and that really helped me enjoy it more. At first, I think we were, we were just, you know, the city has done planting before, but this, the way that we've been doing it and, and planting as many trees as we were is kind of new, and having a program around it was kind of new, and so there was some... Um, development of like how what is the most efficient how do we you know how do we actually do this and I think once we started to get some of those factors dialed like watering and you know who's running mulch and all, you know how to work with volunteers and where which tree is going where you know just the placement of trees and figuring out all those different parts it became so rewarding being involved in in that whole process and and thinking about yeah you know what like this tree is going to go great in this site because of X, Y, and Z, you know? Um, and then getting to go out and plant that, especially with volunteers was something that was really rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say when you, you know, there's a satisfaction. I think all tree guys that have done it long enough know like you're driving around and you're like, yep, I pruned that tree. Yep. I, I pruned that tree. Oh, I worked on, there's a giant removal I did right there. You know, everybody's kind of drive, drove around and uh, annoyed someone in the car with them <laughs> that way. <laughs> But Every day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Annoyed each other. <laughs> yeah. I did that one. Well, I did that one. <laughs> yeah, it's even worse when you're at the city because they're all street trees. <laughs> <laughs> but there's even more satisfaction when you see the trees that you've uh, planted and and it just grows because the bigger the tree is, the cooler you feel. You're like, yep, see that big tree there? I planted that. Yeah. That, that wouldn't exist if it wasn't Every year a little bit cooler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, well, speaking of which of the advantages of being so old, <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, uh, Scott might o have a record. We don't, we, it's not official. So lay off Guinness. This is not, this is not an official thing, but, uh, me and Scott were talking a while ago and he was talking about a sequoia that he planted when he was a kid that he then climbed. So he may have the record for the biggest tree that he planted and then climbed. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? To, uh, that would be 
I, and I, uh, what made me think of it was we had to remove um, a huge walnut that was planted by the Eugene Airport, and it must have been seven feet in diameter, eight feet in diameter. And um, the guy who planted the tree was in his 90s, and he was driving um, by in his super uh, souped-up Corvette. And I was just <laughs> thinking, wow, wouldn't that, if he can drive that Corvette, he, we could get him up a tree. Wouldn't that be great to get him up in the top of this monstrous walnut that he climbed? And I thought, wait a minute, I could do that? And, yeah, there should be a, a world record for who can climb the highest in a tree that they've planted with their own hands and verified that. Well, so how the gauntlet has been the gauntlet's been laid down. down. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, how tall was that sequoia that you climbed? Uh, Thirty feet. All right, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, when I was in Pennsylvania in fifth grade, planted it was the first time I had ever heard of giant sequoias, and it got up to probably seventy feet, but then it was struck by lightning, and then died but um now did you climb it when it was before it got struck by lightning okay okay so this wasn't like it got struck by lightning and then regrew or no okay so so then i'm just gonna throw it out there the unfit the tree thinking record for tree that you planted then climbed we're gonna say is 70 70 feet feet. so if you got a better tree that you've climbed bring it the the tropical folks uh oh yeah i climbed a 12-year-old tree in Brazil that my friend Leo cl- uh, planted, and it was just monstrous, uh, saber tree, uh, full of thorns, but <laughs> that somebody could easily, or a eucalyptus, um, so bring it on. Uh, yeah, so, I, you know, and someone could, mm-hmm. but until until it is reported to tree thinking, the tree thinking record and we need is... Somebody's going to plant a tree of heaven and have us all beaten like a year. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> 300 feet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you want to climb a 300-foot tree of heaven, <laughs> good on you. Go for it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to. <laughs> Yeah, so, okay, how should we do it, though? Is the record how high you climbed in a tree you planted? Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's the way. It, so so yours is probably closer to, like, 65 feet. Cause you, or yep. did you make it to the top? No. So we're going to say 65 feet is... Yeah, where your feet are. Yep, is the flag that we're planting in the ground. Where your feet are, yep. Yep, Scott Altenhoff, it's official for the Tree Thinking Record Book. And Bring we'll keep, we'll it. keep track it'll of that. Be It'll be broken tomorrow, thankfully. Yeah, so send us your email. Reach out on social media. We need some kind of proof. We can't just have it. You know, we need like a picture or whatnot. So the the gauntlet has been dropped. Has been dropped. Um, some of what you were saying, Michaela, uh, brought to mind. So if we're, if we're not in a position of like Sperry, right, where you guys have grown long enough, you've built your um, – your, brand, I guess, for lack of a better word, within the industry or within the local area where you can then start integrating like tree planting or building of a, a tree planting program as part of your your operation, right? Um, if you don't, or if you're small and you don't have that capability, like what about partnering with like nonprofits, like Friends of Trees? I like mean, plugging in with them. and That seems like a great, I would definitely be in communication with the nonprofit, nonprofits. And I would even say you don't even have to be a giant company. You know, if you're if you're a small operation, you can still that bidder can still try to, uh, you know, upsell trees. 
you know, it might be harder to hold an inventory mm -hmm. if you don't have a, a shop that you can be watering the trees and maintaining them at. That doesn't mean you can't uh, be working with the nurseries or, you know, figuring it out some some way. So, you know, I mean, it's just it's just a good feeling to, you know, a day that you plant a bunch of trees mm -hmm. is is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. It is. You know. And yeah, there's no size to that. I mean, I I think it'd be cool to see a company try to like have that be their number one thing. Be like, oh, oh yeah, we we prune some ornamentals and we'll do this other stuff if we got to. But we're you know, really we're about planting. We're trees. Plant, we're about planting trees. You know, balancing the equation. Or how about this? Having requirements that if you're removing this, if you're responsible for the removal of X number of trees or a basal area of X, which would be the cut surface area then you're responsible for replanting comparable or yeah greater well amount. that'd be that'd be really cool it'd be kind of hard because you might lose that <laughs> removal <laughs> but what you could do is you could say for every tree we remove we work with friends of trees to plant another tree well that's what i meant and Not so, on site yeah right. but so you know you could you could just build that cost into the without even really saying it yeah. mm -hmm. you know because you know on a big you know, $2,000 removal, make it a $2,200 removal. And they're probably not going to know know the difference for the most part. No, nope, they're not going to buy that. And then just donate that 200 bucks to Friends of Trees to get a tree planted or whatever it is. You could, you know, talk to Friends of Trees and you could probably get, a, a, a you know, across the board price. It costs this much to get a tree planted, you know. And, uh, and if you don't have a Friends of Trees in your, wherever you're living... You know, it, which is a nonprofit that plants trees in the community. Well, then start one. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, or I mean, find it's probably not a Friends of Trees if you're not in the Pacific Northwest, but there could be a different organization in town or yeah. community group even that is interested in that. And there's sometimes no through the through the uh, universities too. It might be like a, a yeah. extension services. Extension services. Or yeah, reach out to your municipality. Yeah. yeah. Say, hey, I, I want to start, you know, uh, reforesting the urban forest for every tree that I remove. I want to get one planted. If, you know, what would it cost to fund a tree planting? Yeah. You know, you might be able to get something going. That's pretty cool. Or Arbor Day, national um, national groups, Arbor Day or Tree City USA. You can plug in with one of those and yeah, I guess you can donate to those too. Yeah. So there could be, you know, some pretty cool ways to uh, build that in. And think, of, I mean, that's a great marketing uh, potential right there, being able to put that on all your information and then put a dollar fact, you know, because if you're donating it, you've got receipts for it. So you can be like, hey, we donated, you know, uh, $3,000 worth of uh, tree plantings last year. You know, my come action to those words. Exactly. People love that, man. People love doers, mm -hmm. you know, so. I'd hire that company. Heck Yeah. <laughs> Right on. Well, uh, I don't know. You guys got anything else on your mind? Anything Anything you want to uh, put out there? It's been a little while since we've done one of these episodes. It's, it's a lot of fun to get back here and be talking. We're going to try to pick this up a little bit again. Uh, you know, I've been to, I was up at a competition and there's, you know, a couple people. It's not like there's a lot of people coming to me by any means, but uh, a few people were definitely coming up like, hey, man, where's, where's the episodes? You know, I, yeah, missed the tree thinking episode. So kind of inspired inspired me to kinda of, all right, let's let's get this going. And uh so thank you guys so much for 
for coming and joining. Life's life's been so busy recently, kind of getting a new job and yeah. getting settled in. But uh, now that I'm getting settled in a little bit more and life's getting a little, a uh, little more sane. I don't know if it, no, I know it's not going to be every week, but uh, we'll definitely need to start doing them once a week, every week. Yeah, that's, that's, oh, that's, that's the gauntlet. Yeah, we did it once. We can do it again. Oh, hey, if if you want it every week. Start donating. If I start seeing the donations come in, we'll make it happen. <laughs> I think it's time for final thoughts then. Yeah. Corey, what are your final thoughts? Uh, I'm just blown away. Mountain Ash actually does okay in Central Oregon. You can find a non-trashy Mountain Ash out there. That's blows my mind. A lot of species that uh, surprise me. So um, honey locust and robinia and, yeah. Learn something new every day. Scott, what are your final thoughts? Balance the equation. Strive to balance the equation. If you're taken, give back. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. I got to follow, follow that profound thought. <laughs> Mine is honestly, I mean, I was getting lightheaded out there today. Mine is drink water Ooh, because, yeah. damn. Yeah. It's summertime. We didn't even bring up hydration once. <laughs> we didn't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well no, we no, did. No, we did. Right final, at the yes, end here. Yeah. Final thoughts. <laughs> yeah, Just, final thought. And really, that might stick with our listeners a little bit more because it's the last thing they hear. Yeah. Drink some water. There we go. Well, uh, you know, my final thoughts is it's just really nice to be in here, kind of doing getting this going again. It, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to be sitting down with friends, and you know, I used to ride around in a truck with you every day so it's really good to be sitting here and uh and scott i really look forward to you getting into your position uh i know at the city you did some really good things in pushing the program forward and uh just getting it done over what 17 years was it so yep. you know if if those 17 years are any kind of indication of what the state of Oregon has in store. Uh, I look forward to seeing how it goes. And uh, the thing I'm most proud of is just being able to help assemble and bring together an amazing team. And you're all part of that. So that was my, the thing I pride myself on most is kind of attracting top quality folks who are still doing great things. So Man, it's all about the people. It is. Well, and you're just starting that process uh, for the state. So, you know, I look forward to the team you assemble there. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, with that, stay safe and uh, plant a tree. Mm-hmm.